Real Desert Cult Hours, who up? That's right, we are back on our Dead Sea Scroll track here, and now that I'm recording more frequently, you get other things throughout the week than just Dead Sea Scrolls. But we still gotta record on the Dead Sea Scrolls, don't we? We are still in the Thanksgiving hymns, as they are called, but a more accurate title for them might be uh, the Qumran community sing songs about their schizophrenic theology. Yeah, let's go there. So, hymn number six, formerly number one, starts off with a dot, 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 can't wait. Thou art long-suffering in thy judgments, and righteous in all thy deeds, and by thy wisdom all things exist from eternity, and before creating them thou knowest their works for ever and ever. Nothing is done without thee, and nothing is known unless thou desire it. Thou hast created all the spirits, and hast established a statute and law for all their works. Thou hast spread the heavens for thy glory, and hast appointed all their hosts according to thy will. The mighty winds according to their laws, before they became angels of holiness, dot, 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 and eternal spirits in their dominions, the heavenly lights to their mysteries, the stars to their paths, the clouds to their tasks, the thunderbolts and lightnings to their duties, and the perfect treasuries of snow and hail to their purposes, dot, 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 to their mysteries. Now, as we uh, listen to this, you might read that line and see the mighty winds according to their laws before they became angels of holiness. But remember, this is probably using the uh, Hebrew or Aramaic term for messenger, which is also angel. So before we believe that the Qumran community had some sort of belief that uh, winds became angels, like God went... <sighs> and blew all over some place and then the, the breath of God, the winds became angels like some sort of a mutation. Um, even though that's very possible, given the track record of the Qumran community, it is more likely that they are simply praising the existence of the winds themselves. Um, after all, in, co in context here, we're seeing heavenly lights or stars, thunderbolts, lightnings, they're trying to be poetic about how God has formed the music of the spheres. Not a bad thing. Good job, Qumran. But let's just say that I don't have the most uh, high hopes for where this is going to go. Let's keep going here. Thou hast created the earth by thy power, and the seas and deeps by thy might. Thou hast fashioned all their inhabitants according to thy wisdom, and hast appointed all that is in them according to thy will. And to the spirit of man, which thou hast formed in the world, thou hast given dominion over the works of thy hands, for everlasting days and unending generations, dot, 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 in their ages. Thou hast allotted to them tasks during all their generations, and judgment in their appointed seasons, according to the rule of the two spirits, for thou hast established their ways for ever and ever, and hast ordained from eternity their visitation for reward and chastisements. Thou hast allotted to it all their seed for eternal generations and everlasting years, dot, 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 in the wisdom of thy knowledge. Um, question, since this is the Qumran community who have demonstrated a tendency toward hard determinism, when we read, thou hast given dominion over the works of thy hands to man, to the spirit of man which thou hast formed in the world, thou hast given dominion over the works of thy hands. Is it really dominion if you have absolutely no ability to make any choices whatsoever? If literally everything that you do is uh, 
predetermined, like you're a puppet. Now, just just putting that out there, that that doesn't make too much sense for us to praise God for giving mankind a sort of dominion over everything when mankind does not make decisions or actually have dominion. We're, it's kabuki theater at that point. But we continue on. <clears throat> Thou didst establish their destiny before ever they were. All things exist according to thy will, and without thee nothing is done. These things I know by the wisdom which comes from thee, for thou hast unstopped my ears to marvelous mysteries. And yet I, a shape of clay, kneaded in water, a ground of shame and a source of pollution, a melting pot of wickedness and an edifice of sin, a straying and perverted spirit of no understanding, fearful of righteous judgments. What can I say that is not foreknown? And what can I utter that is not foretold? All things are graven before thee on a written reminder for everlasting ages and for the numbered cycles of the eternal years and all their seasons. They are not hidden or absent from thee. What shall a man say concerning his sin? And how shall he plead concerning his iniquities? And how shall he reply to righteous judgment? For thine, O God of knowledge, are all righteous deeds and the counsel of truth. But to the sons of men is the work of iniquity and deeds of deceit. This, if we, if we look at the context of everything we've learned thus far about Qumran, about their theology, um, it sounds insulting to God to say things about yourself like that. Now, I'm not saying it's insulting to God or blasphemous to confess that you are a sinner. But... To confess that you are a sinner while also claiming that God is the author of sin, as Qumran does. They claim that, you know, evil people are imbued by an evil spirit from God, so their predetermined evil works are accomplished, and then they are punished for it. Um, that, that is blasphemy. That's somebody saying, hey God, you made me evil. I'm a poor, wicked, disgusting, unworthy sinner. Great job, God. You made me this way. Um, that doesn't sound like thanksgiving. That doesn't sound like praise. That sounds like a backhanded compliment at best and spitting in God's face at worst. Just saying, because again, there is nothing wrong with confessing my sin, knowing that my sin is my fault. But if I confess my sin saying it's God's fault, and then also confessing my sin like this um, in the midst of a community that the moment you do anything wrong, they want to expel you, this may be the most brave member of Qumran writing here, being willing to put out there some of the worst ideas, religiously speaking, that I've ever heard in my entire life. But let's keep reading. Maybe, maybe he picks it up. It is thou who hast created breath for the tongue, and thou knowest its words. And thou didst establish the fruit of the lips before ever they were. Thou dost set words to measure, and the flow of breath from the lips to meter. Thou bringest forth sounds according to their mysteries, and the flow of breath from the lips according to its reckoning. That they may tell of thy glory, and recount thy wonders in all thy works of truth, and in all thy righteous judgments, and that thy name be praised by the mouth of all men, and that they may know thee according to their understanding, and bless thee forever. I'm Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't get it right 100%. 
it's not this guy giving a backhanded compliment. It's God giving himself a backhanded compliment. Because according to Qumran guy here, writing his hymn of thanksgiving, he's also claiming that God uh, stuck his divine hand in this guy's mouth and went, that God creates and controls all speech, written or otherwise, in order to write this psalm. So he's saying, hey, it's not me blaspheming God according to my interesting theology. No, it's God blaspheming himself. Stop hitting yourself, God. Stop hitting yourself. But we continue on. By thy mercies and by thy great goodness, thou hast strengthened the spirit of man in the face of the scourge, and hast purified the erring spirit of a multitude of sins, that it may declare thy marvels in the presence of all thy creatures. I will declare to the assembly of the simple the judgments by which I was scourged, and to the sons of men all thy wonders, by which thou hast shown thyself mighty in me in the presence of the sons of Adam. Hear, O you wise men, and meditate on knowledge. O you fearful, be steadfast. Increase in prudence, all you simple. O just men, put away iniquity. Hold fast to the covenant. O all you perfect of way, O all you afflicted with misery. Be patient, and despise no righteous judgment. But the foolish of heart shall not comprehend these things. Fallen over my words here. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Upon my uncircumcised lips, thou hast laid a reply. Thou hast upheld my soul, strengthening my loins and restoring my power. My foot has stood in the realm of ungodliness. I have been a snare to those who rebel, but healing to those of them who repent. Prudence to the simple and steadfastness to the fearful of heart. To traitors, thou hast made of me a mockery and scorn, but a counsel of truth and understanding to the upright of way. I have been iniquity for the wicked, ill repute on the lips of the fierce. The scoffers have gnashed their teeth. I have been a byword to traitors. The assembly of the wicked has raged against me. They have roared like turbulent seas, and their towering waves have spat out mud and slime. But to the elect of righteousness thou hast made me a banner, and a discerning interpreter of wonderful mysteries to try those who practice truth, and to test those who love correction." To the interpreters of error, I have been an opponent, but a man of peace to all those who see true things. To all those who seek smooth things, I have been a spirit of zeal. Like the sound of the roaring of many waters, so have all the deceivers thundered against me. All their thoughts were devilish schemings. They have cast towards the pit the life of the man whose mouth thou hast confirmed, and into whose heart thou hast put teaching and understanding." that he might open a fountain of knowledge to all men of insight. They have exchanged them for lips of uncircumcision and for the foreign tongue of a people without understanding that they might come to ruin in their straying. Hmm. Okay. So, he he has, again, wedded Pelagianism to hyper-Calvinism in a way that doesn't make sense because they are contradictory, they are mutually exclusive to one another, telling people to make the decision with your free will to guarantee that you never had any free will in the first place. But it's interesting that he does kind of acknowledge this. When we read here, to traitors thou hast made of me a mockery and scorn, but a counsel of truth and understanding to the upright of way. So, 
this idea of divine chess here. God takes his little uh, Qumran bishop, puts it in the middle of the board, and then all the uh, opposing pieces here are like God looks at them and kind of shakes them around and says, all right, mockery and scorn to the to the good uh, Qumran bishop. And then all the other pieces of the chessboard that are on his side are like, no, no, you're giving us understanding. Good job. And God is like, you know, walking around the chessboard to make sure that this drama is played out. But you really got to use your super awesome free will to understand all these things and reject your wickedness and embrace righteousness. Mm-hmm. I have a headache. But unfortunately for me, now I get to move on to hymn number seven, formerly two. I thank thee, O Lord, for thou hast placed my soul in the bundle of the living and hast hedged me about against all the snares of the pit. Violent men have sought after my life because I have clung to thy covenant. For they, an assembly of deceit and a horde of Belial, know not that my stand is maintained by thee and that in thy mercy thou wilt save my soul since my steps proceed from thee. From thee it is that they assail my life, that thou mayest be glorified by the judgment of the wicked, and manifest thy might through me, in the presence of the sons of men, for it is by thy mercy that I stand. And I said, mighty men, have pitched their camps against me, and have encompassed me with all their weapons of war. They have let fly arrows, like foundations of the wall shall rock from a ship upon the face of the waters. The heavens shall roar with a noise of roaring, and those who dwell in the dust as well as those who sail the seas shall be appalled by the roaring of the waters. All their wise men shall be like sailors on the deeps, for all their wisdom shall be swallowed up in the midst of the howling seas. As the abysses boil above the fountains of the waters, the towering waves and billows shall rage with the voice of their roaring, and as they rage, hell and Abaddon shall open, and all the flying arrows of the pit shall send out their voice to the abyss. And the gates of hell shall open on all the works of vanity, and the doors of the pit shall close on the conceivers of wickedness, and the everlasting bars shall be bolted on all the spirits of naught. Okay. I have a question, because when we read this first stanza here, I thank thee, O Lord, for thou hast placed my soul in the bundle of the living and hast hedged me about against all the snares of the pit. Now, what is bundle of the living? Well, that's the elect. How do we know that? Because in the, in context here, when we read that uh, in thy mercy thou wilt save my soul since my steps proceed from me, I have to wonder, how does this guy know that? When people have a uh, hard vision of election, when they have a hard version of the predestined group for salvation called the elect being the mode of salvation in one way, shape, or form, there's always an issue of how do you know you are part of the elect? You can't decide that for yourself because that, you know, edges in on God's sovereignty but you could do things that maybe are good for assurance's sake, like uh, sanctification, trying to do better works so that you know that you are, uh, I'm doing good works and therefore that's a sign of my sanctification by the Holy Spirit, which is uh, a good sign that I am a member of this elect. Or alternatively, uh, I have faith and it is faith that saves, um, 
well, I don't know what it's faith in. It depends on the person saying that, but therefore I am maybe, most likely, a member of the elect. That's how that usually goes. There, It's an assurance that's an encouragement, but never a solid, underlined, bold, italicized, all caps, yes. Now, it's even weirder for the Qumran guy to say that he's a member of the elect because they hold to this hard predestination view while also not having the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a Lutheran, I can say, hmm, St. Peter says, when they ask him, what must I do to be saved? Uh, it's, well, you've got to go get baptized, repent and be baptized. And you, okay, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so baptism is part of what saves me. Uh, St. Peter does say in 1 Peter 3, 21, baptism now saves you. Okay. Uh, St. Paul says, whoever confesses the Lord Jesus Christ and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Okay. Well, it's that simple. I can really truly believe in Jesus. I'm really going to trust him for my salvation, believe that he died for me. Okay, let's go. All right. What does the Qumran community have? The only thing I could guess is that they have the law, which they are absolutely committed to in a very unhealthy way. So is he saying that he's getting his assurance of salvation for being a super-duper lawful believer? He doesn't say that. He says it's by God's mercies. But he knows, he knows in his heart of hearts that he's part of this bundle of the living, this uh, elect group of those who are saved. Could it be his membership in Qumran? You know, membership in the, the evil desert cult here? Maybe. But it could also be that he just knows that he knows that he knows. Because, of course, Qumran community, they really liked collecting extremes in theology and I wouldn't really put it past him to add just, just a little bit of Gnosticism. Just a, just a tad bit of Gnosticism here as a treat. But let's go ahead and move on. we got a lot to read. Hymn number eight, formerly three. I thank thee, O Lord, for thou hast fastened thine eye upon me. Thou hast saved me from the zeal of lying interpreters and from the congregation of those who seek smooth things. Thou hast redeemed the soul of the poor one whom they planned to destroy by spilling his blood because he served thee. Because they knew not that my steps were directed by thee, they made me an object of shame and derision in the mouth of all the seekers of falsehood. But thou, O oh my God, hast succored the soul of the poor and the needy against one stronger than he. Thou hast redeemed my soul from the hand of the mighty. Thou hast not permitted their insults to dismay me so that I forsook thy service for fear of the wickedness of the ungodly or bartered my steadfast heart for folly. Dot, dot, dot. Um, okay. That's it. I'm surprised. It's an actual hymn of thanksgiving. All right. But we're moving on. Hymn number nine. Dot, dot, dot. Great start, guys. They caused me to be like a ship on the deeps of the sea, and like a fortified city before the aggressor, and like a woman in travail with her firstborn child, upon whose belly pangs have come and grievous pains, filling with anguish her child-bearing crucible. For the children have come to the throes of death, 
and she labors in her pains who bears a man. For amid the throes of death she shall bring forth a man-child, and amid the pains of hell there shall spring from her childbearing crucible a marvelous mighty counselor, and a man shall be delivered from out of the throes. When he is conceived, all wombs shall quicken, and the time of their delivery shall be in grievous pains. They shall be appalled who are with child. When he is brought forth, every pang shall come upon the child-bearing crucible. And they, the conceivers of vanity, shall be prey to terrible anguish. The wombs of the pit shall be prey to all the works of horror. The foundations of the wall shall rock like a ship upon the face of the waters. The heavens shall roar with a noise of roaring. And those who dwell in the dust, as well as those who sail in the seas, shall be appalled by the roaring of the waters. All their wise men shall be like sailors on the deeps. For all their wisdom shall be swallowed up in the midst of the howling seas. As the abysses boil above the fountains of the waters, the towering waves and billows shall rage with the voice of their roaring. And as they rage, hell and Abaddon shall open, and all the flying arrows of the pit shall send out their voice to the abyss. And the gates of hell shall open on all the works of vanity, and the doors of the pit shall close on the conceivers of wickedness. And the everlasting bars shall be bolted on all the spirits of naught. So this one um, does seem to be copying another hymn we just read. It, you know, having, oh, the, the deeps, the knot, the vanity and everything being swallowed up. But the interesting thing here is that this is more of a prophetic viewpoint here. It's, they caused me to be like a ship on the deeps of the sea, like a fortified city before the aggressor, and like a woman in travail. So this group of bad guys made me feel bad they caused turmoil in my heart but hey this is like childbirth child labor it's painful but something good is going to come of it and what is going to happen well this woman this mystery woman she labors in her pains who bears a man amid the throes of death she'll she shall bring forth a man child amid the pains of hell there shall be spring from her childbearing crucible a marvelous mighty counselor and then, because of that birth, all these false teachers are going to have their own birth, but it's going to be pain, and the gates of hell are going to open and swallow up all that bad stuff, all those bad guys. So, it seems to be like this guy's trying to speak prophetically, as well as talking about his own situation. Bad people were saying mean things about me, and they were vexing me with their false teachings, but... It was like childbirth that after that I became, or a somebody became, a marvelous mighty counselor through that birth. And thus, um, all the pregnant wombs, the wombs pregnant with false doctrine, vanity, and folly, they give birth to something that is, well, hell and Abaddon shall open, and all the flying arrows of the pit shall send out their voice to the abyss. So uh, they're going to suffer some consequences. Hymn number 10. I thank thee, O Lord, for thou hast redeemed my soul from the pit and from the hell of Abaddon. Thou hast raised me up to everlasting height. I walk on limitless level ground, and I know there is hope for him whom thou hast shaped from dust for the everlasting counsel. Thou hast cleansed a perverse spirit of great sin, that it may stand with the, the host of the holy ones, and that it may enter into community with the congregation of the sons of heaven. Thou hast allotted to man an everlasting destiny amidst the spirits of knowledge, 
that he may praise thy name in a common rejoicing and recount thy marvels before all thy works. Hmm. Okay. So, the hymn writer here is saying, well, you've taken me and you've forgiven me. You've redeemed me from the pit. Thanks. That's good. We're going to refer to a few psalms here. And look, you've shaped me for the council to stand with the host of the holy ones, the sons of heaven. That's a reference to Job. That's a reference to Genesis chapter 6, I believe, with the uh, instead of the sons of heaven that visited the daughters of man, creating the Nephilim. He's talking about the good sons of heaven, the good angels that stuck around. And he's saying, yes, we are going to be equals to them. And we continue reading. And yet I, a creature of clay, what am I? Kneaded with water, what is my worth and my might? For I have stood in the realms of wickedness, and my lot was with the damned. The soul of the poor one was carried away in the midst of great tribulation. Miseries of torment dogged my steps, while all the snares of the pit were open, and the lures of wickedness were set up, and the nets of the damned were spread on the waters. While all the arrows of the pit flew out without cease, excuse me, and striking left no hope, while the rope beat down in judgment, and a destiny of wrath fell upon the abandoned, and a venting of fury upon the cunning, it was a time of the wrath of all Belial, and the bonds of death tightened without any escape. The torrents of Belial shall reach to all sides of the world in all their channels. A consuming fire shall destroy every tree green and barren on their banks. Unto the end of their courses it shall scourge with flames of fire and shall consume the foundations of the earth and the expanse of dry land. The bases of the mountain shall blaze and the roots of the rocks shall turn to torrents of pitch. It shall devour as far as the great abyss. The torrents of Belial shall break into Abaddon, and the deeps of the abyss shall groan amid the roar of heaving mud, heaving mud, sorry. The land shall cry out because of the calamity fallen upon the world, and all its deeps shall howl, and all those upon it shall rave, and shall perish amid the great misfortune. For God shall sound his mighty voice, and his holy abode shall thunder with the truth of his glory. The heavenly hosts shall cry out, and the world's foundation shall stagger and sway. The war of the heavenly warriors shall scourge the earth, and it shall not end before the appointed destruction, which shall be forever and without compare. Hmm. Well, that last uh, stanza there, the heavenly host shall cry out, and the world's foundations shall stagger and sway. Now, that first part giving us more of this cryptic writing of uh, the wrath against Belial and the everything being devoured as far as the great abyss. We have a little key here at the end. That says, the war of the heavenly warriors shall scourge the earth, and it shall not end before the appointed destruction, which shall be forever and without compare. Which sounds quite a bit like what he's really referring to is the prophecy of the war scroll, or what their, their battle plans and everything, with how they were going to take over the earth by killing everybody that wasn't them. But it does seem like they're saying that there is something supernatural going on at the same exact time, uh, leading them to a kind of spiritual, physical, total war idea for their eschatology. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be an amillennialist where I can just say, yeah, Jesus is going to come back, then it's judgment day. That's it. Yay. I mean, I, I don't have to hold much attention to this. But anyway, another uh, short hymn, hymn number 11. 
I thank thee, O Lord, for thou art as a fortified wall to me, and as an iron bar against all destroyers. Dot, dot, dot. Thou hast set my feet upon rock. Dot, dot, dot. That I may walk in the way of eternity and in the paths which thou hast chosen. Dot, 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 dot. And that's it. Very short hymn there that just seems like it was going to be more of the same. But real quick, if we look at the previous hymn again, you know, it may just be that they are using coded language. When we read the torrents of Belial shall reach to all sides of the world, while well, we understand for them the congregation of Belial is like evil non-believers, people not worth trusting, um, you know, everybody with that evil spirit, so to speak, the like the bad version of the Holy Spirit. But then they talk about the pit, the abyss, miseries of torment dogged my steps while all the snares of the pit were opened. And then we see things like um, Abaddon, the torrents of Belial shall break into Abaddon, which is, I guess, a location for them. And the deeps of the abyss shall groan amid the roar of heaving mud. So this leads us to the question, are they talking about heavenly places and heavenly entities, celestial or infernal entities one way or another? Or are they using coded language since they are referring back to what maybe is the war scroll towards the end? You know, the war of the heavenly warriors shall scourge the earth. And this is where somebody might opine to me. Uh, well, dude, pastor, you are being really unfair in all your critiques of Qumran because they are obviously writing polemically. And it's, uh, it's coded polemics because it was not safe for them to uh, bring all of their actual words out. They can't say, Greece is evil and we want to do war against Greece. And boy, howdy, let me tell you how bad Greece is and how much I look forward to the day we finally defeat Greece or Rome or the, uh, the Sagacetic rulers over the temple. You may have a point. Maybe it was just the case that the Qumran community wasn't as extreme in their theology as they present. But polemics is a kind of irony, and irony isn't. At some point, uncontrolled use of polemics, whether coded or out in the open, it can be used and abused in such a fashion where those things that you're saying end up becoming your 100% earnest beliefs. Or there is a part of you that wishes that were the case. So, yes, a good example, I'm sure everybody's thinking about it, is, say, Martin Luther, who called the Pope, Pope Fardass. You have a point there. Martin Luther did use polemics, including polemic exaggeration at times, to really drive the point home that the opponents of the gospel were bad people with bad motivations. However, Martin Luther also always made sure to include real theology stated openly, constantly. His polemics was put on a leash in order to make sure that his theology was not distorted. And every time he went through, I mean, he would every now and then you could actually hear him say something nice about previous popes because they were actually good. He wasn't a fan of Gregory the Great. He really didn't like Pope Leo. 
But there were times in which he would say, okay, yeah, this guy was right in this, or he would cite something Leo said in the Church Fathers collection to bolster his case. Because he knew about this thing called nuance. There was an anchor. And being a sola scriptura guy, Holy Scripture was Martin Luther's anchor, no matter how nasty his polemics could get. If you don't have that, if you don't have that leash, you don't have that anchor, you don't have something to keep you from going off the deep end, you will probably go off the deep end. Just period. End of story. And Qumran, let's face it, guys, based on their community rule, based on their understanding of what was going to happen, and their consistent inconsistencies here, they didn't really have an anchor. They weren't Sola Scriptura people. They really weren't, because they treated their own documents like it was Holy Scripture, and they held everything in this kind of hyper-intense way. So you have an idea here of Qumran, even if what they're writing in the Thanksgiving hymns, and even if what they're writing in the War Scroll is polemics, well, it's irony, and irony isn't. So they, and they were, they were not chained to anything. They weren't bound to anything. They were not disciplined. So I'm going to say this is probably earnest. Very earnest. And if there is coded language about Abaddon or the pit or Belial, um, it's coded, but it's not. Because they will obsessively go in a spiral towards more and more uh, earnestness in what they're saying. But let's go ahead and move on here to him. 12, formerly 7. I thank thee, O Lord, for thou hast illumined my face by thy covenant. Dot, dot, dot. I seek thee, as sure as the dawn, thou appearest as perfect light to me. Teachers of lies have smoothed thy people with words, and false prophets have led them astray. They perish without understanding, for their works are in folly. For I am despised by them, and they have no esteem for me, that thou mayest manifest thy might through me. They have banished me from my land like a bird from its nest. All my friends and brethren are driven far from me, and hold me for a broken vessel. And they, teachers of lies and seers of falsehood, have schemed against me a devilish scheme, to exchange the law engraved on my heart by thee for the smooth things which they speak to thy people." And they withhold from the thirsty the drink of knowledge. They assuage their thirst with vinegar. And they may gaze upon their straying, on their folly concerning their feast days, and their fall into their snares. Hmm. Okay. Now, here's where Qumran actually did have a point. They say, Teachers of lies and seers of falsehood have schemed against me a devilish scheme to exchange the law engraved on my heart by thee for the smooth things which they speak to thy people. Now, a little bit of history here. The Essene community and the Qumran community were very, 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 very opposed to the Pharisees. Now, in part because the Pharisees were kind of a uh, mirror image to them, but an externally facing one. The Qumran community was willing to develop their own semi-Talmud idea here. They were willing to add commandments to the law of God and do things as much as they wanted to be the most pure forever. And the Pharisees did the same thing, except the Pharisees found very clever, logical ways to violate God's law while pretending they upholded it. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ brings up a great example of this when he mentions that they said, you know, if you go up to your parents and say, um, hey, anything that you got from me is korban, dedicated to God, well, then, then that guy doesn't have to honor his father and his mother anymore, violating God's commandments in order to kind of pretend they were upholding them. And there's stuff like that all over the Talmud. You know, if you put up an Eruv, a wire around your city, you're technically indoors. So you can walk around outside and it's fine because you're, you're not violating the Sabbath law that the Pharisees had introduced. I wonder here if the writer of this Thanksgiving hymn is referring to the Pharisaic element in Judea at the time, introducing these clever things because he says, they're exchanging, you know, the, a devilish scheme to exchange the law engraved on my heart by thee for the smooth things which they speak to thy people. Hmm, that sounds like kind of a reference to what the Pharisees were up to that they get called on. So, Qumran has a point. Let's keep reading the hymn. But thou, O God, dost despise all Belial's designs. It is thy purpose that shall be done, and the design of thy heart that shall be established forever. As for them, they dissemble, they plan devilish schemes, they seek thee with a double heart, and are not confirmed in thy truth. A root-bearing, poisoned, and bitter fruit is in their designs. They walk in stubbornness of heart, and they seek thee among idols, and they set before themselves the stumbling block of their sin. They come to inquire of thee from the mouth of lying prophets, deceived by error, who speak with strange lips to thy people, and an alien tongue, that they may cunningly turn all their works to folly. You see, yeah, this is speaking about co-ethnics that are not part of the Qumran community, because they say, he says, he admits, you know, they, they seek thee among idols, they set before themselves the stumbling block of their sin, meaning, you know, it's not them just being wholeheartedly evil from the get-go, but they're, they're in error. They're, they're seeking you wrong. They seek thee with a double heart, he says. So these are people that ostensibly know about the true God, but are not doing so correctly. This isn't them writing about the, the hordes of the Gentiles that they want to mow down with their diamond and ruby-covered swords in the war scroll. This is about, uh, again, the residents out there in greater Judea, who should know better according to the residents of Qumran. And we keep reading about them. What is more of this opinion here? For they hearken not to thy voice, nor do they give ear to thy word. Of the vision of knowledge they say, it is unsure. And of the way of thy heart, it is not the way. But thou, O God, wilt reply to them, chastising them in thy might because of their idols and because of the multitude of their sins, that they who have turned aside from thy covenant may be caught in their own designs. Thou wilt destroy in judgment all men of lies, and there shall be no more seers of error. For in thy works is no folly, no guile in the design of thy heart. But those who please thee shall stand before thee forever. Those who walk in the way of thy heart shall be established forevermore. Clinging to thee, I will stand. I will rise against those who despise me, and my hand shall be turned against those who deride me. For they have no esteem for me, that thou mayest manifest thy might through me. Thou hast revealed thyself to me in thy power as perfect light, and thou hast not covered my face with shame. 
All those who are gathered in thy covenant inquire of me, and they hearken to me, who walk in the way of thy heart, who array themselves for thee in the counsel of the holy. Now, again, this is when he brings up things like they're saying it's unsure, or the way of thy heart, it's not the way. We do understand that among the Pharisees, there were two rabbinical schools that predominated, the school of Hillel and then the school of Shammai. I believe it was uh, Hillel that was the conservative Pharisee in Shammai that was the more permissive of the Pharisees. They got into debates about when could you divorce your wife or what were the circumstances leading to that? How did you go about doing it? All sorts of things like that because they really had a hard time seeing clarity in the word of God. Now, that said, this can also be aimed at the Hellenized Jews at the time who were trying their best to kind of do what Alexander the Great wanted. You know, his he conquered everything that the Persians had. And there were Hellenized Jews who followed after uh, Alexander's program of Hellenization. And his successors, too, really, really, really wanted that and forced that. The Ptolemies wanted in complete Hellenization for Judea. They put up pagan idols in the temple in Jerusalem. Bad times for everybody. But the Hellenized Jews then had been learning a lot of semi-Platonic skepticism from that. And a lot of the priests that were assigned to the Jerusalem temple by the Greeks had a similar problem. They had to thread the needle and walk the tightrope on, well, I have to be Greek, but I also have to be Jewish. Um, How am I going to make all this work? Well, let's throw up our hands and say, I don't know. So there's a little bit more charity for Qumran towards uh, the Hellenized Jews and the Pharisees, the uh, erring brethren of their time, than the uh, bigger problems of the Gentiles that keep taking over, you know, the Greeks, the Romans, etc. Let's keep reading. Thou wilt cause their law to endure forever, speaking of the counsel of the holy, and truth to go forward unhindered. And thou wilt not allow them to be led astray by the hand of the damned, when they plot against them. Thou wilt put the fear of them into thy people, and wilt make of them a hammer to all the peoples of the lands, that at the judgment they may cut off all those who transgress thy word. Through me thou hast illumined the face of the congregation, and hast shown thine infinite power, for thou hast given me knowledge through thy marvelous mysteries, and hast shown thyself mighty within me, in the midst of thy marvelous counsel. Thou hast done wonders before the congregation for the sake of thy glory, that they may make known thy mighty deeds to all the living. What, but what is flesh to be worthy of this? What is a creature of clay for such great marvels to be done, whereas he is in iniquity from the womb, and in guilty unfaithfulness until his old age? Righteousness, I know, is not of man nor is perfection of way of the Son of Man. To the Most High God belong all righteous deeds. The way of man is not established except by the Spirit which God created for him, to make perfect a way for the children of men, that all his creatures may know, the might of his power and the abundance of his mercies toward all the sons of his grace. As for me, shaking and trembling seize me, and all my bones are broken, my heart dissolves like wax before fire, and my knees are like water, pouring down from a steep place. 
For I remember my sins, and the unfaithfulness of my fathers, when the wicked rose against thy covenant, and the damned against thy word. I said in my sinfulness, I am forsaken by thy covenant, but calling to mind the might of thy hand and the greatness of thy compassion, I rose and stood, and my spirit was established, the face of the scourge. I lean on thy grace, and on the multitude of thy mercies, for thou wilt pardon iniquity, and through thy righteousness thou wilt purify man of his sin. Not for his sake wilt thou do it, but for the sake of thy glory. For thou hast created the just and the wicked, dot, 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 dot. Okay, so before we call it a day, let's, uh, let's look at something interesting here from this hymn. What is flesh to be worthy of this? What is a creature of clay, he says. And he says he is, is in iniquity from the womb and in guilty unfaithfulness until his old age. And then he says pretty clearly to the most high God belong all righteous deeds. The way of man is not established except by the spirit which God created for him to make perfect a way for the children of men. Well, already we can disagree with them that um, God did not create the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Period. End of story. But in all fairness... They did have a good grasp on original sin. Yes, we are, from the womb, conceived in sin. We are grown in sin. Our nature, which is supposed to be in the image of God, is warped and mutated and harmed by our original sin. So, when it does come to our good deeds done in faith for the convert... God must receive the credit for that. Why? After all, and I'm not saying that I would even get close to agreeing with their puppet master theology here. They look at it as only God can take credit because we are naturally sinful. Therefore, we have no free will. And God is doing these good deeds through us because he preordained them. And after all, he preordained every single action and event ever. Uh, let's you know wipe the dust off our hands, call it a day, and go home. It's more complex than that. The formula of Concord on the issue of free will does confess that the Holy Spirit does deserve the credit for our good deeds, which are necessary. We must do good deeds. But that's not because he works through us in order to accomplish these by himself. There is what you would call a weak cooperation between the freed will of the man, of the convert, of the believer, and the working of the Holy Spirit. We spend, between our birth and our baptism, our entire lives being sinful, wretched, dead in trespasses and sins, as uh, Ephesians says. But when we are converted at the waters of our baptism, at the arrival of the Holy Spirit, that will in us, which was formerly marked by evil transgression and being unable to do anything which pleases God, that will is freed. And like a man who finally gets to the hospital after being shot five or six times and he's recovering, he's not dying anymore. But he's not strong. He's still healing. He's still learning. There is still this, 
sanctification going on in his body, which Holy Scripture says happens to our soul over time. And so, even if I cooperate with the Holy Spirit in performing good deeds, I understand that the most I can do is maybe go, okay, yeah, I, I want to do the right thing here. You know, as, as St. Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 7, like, yeah, I want to do right as a believer. I want to. I, I know that the old Adam is still here encouraging me to sin, but I want to do right. And then the Holy Spirit enables us and empowers us to actually do that good that our now free will wants to do. That's how it works. It's a weak cooperation, and by all means, the Holy Spirit deserves all the credit for it. But it's not, it's not likely in any event whatsoever that we can follow the Qumran line of logic here that well, therefore, we are all just puppets, and I'm very happy that I'm one of the good puppets. And I can do no other because God programmed me to be happy that I'm one of the good puppets instead of the bad puppets. It's not like that. Anyway, we will catch y'all next week for hopefully for some, uh, some more fun craziness from Qumran, guys. Catch you later. Amen and amen.